this episode. Wimbledon, Australian Open, French Open, amazing, amazing uh, tennis player. Not once did her mum ask her whether she won or how she played. <laughs> They're doing it for the love of it. You, know. you want to get them just loving the game. Tell you what, the parents didn't like it. Drove them nuts. So, <laughs> what things jumped out for you, Mark, in terms of bits you like in that uh, Yvonne Gorgon story? So she was she um, was doing stuff that other people weren't. So pretty amazing woman. A simple story to tell. Yes, very, very. Right. I love it. Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everybody. I'm Sean Callahan. And hi, everybody. I'm Mark Shank. And so, Sean, it's your turn to share a story, and uh, we'll uh, we'll unpack it today. And it's from the world of sport and one of your favourite sports. I know basketball's a huge part of your life, but also tennis. Absolutely. So, uh, absolutely. Love a tennis story. I heard this one on the radio not too long ago. Um, Yvonne Gulagong was on the radio. Yvonne Gulagong Corley, uh, as she is known. Uh, fabulous tennis player, you know, real star of the 70s and 80s, you know, won uh, Wimbledon, Australian Open, French Open, um, amazing, amazing uh, tennis player. And uh, she was talking about her early days in a little town, you know, uh, in New South Wales called uh, Barallan. And she was, uh, she's from an Aboriginal family, uh, Wiradjuri family. And the, you know, they didn't know too much about tennis and but she got interested. She could see these people playing and she'd come over and sort of peer through the, you know, the side of the, the tennis courts and uh, someone sort of sort of said, come on, come on in, have a, here's a racket, have a go. And of course, it turned out she was a natural, you know, talent. And she said that one of the things that became a pattern of how she played tennis is that every day she would uh, head off to have a game and her mum who didn't know much about tennis. So she just, as Yvonne left, she would just sort of say, uh, well, have a lovely day, honey. You know, and Yvonne would zip off and have a game of tennis. And, uh, and when she got home, her uh, mum would just sort of say, so did you have a lovely day? And Yvonne Gulagong was saying that not once did her mum ask her whether she'd won or how <laughs> she played. or and, and as a result of that, uh, Gulagong had sort of developed a mindset of really never really thinking about that when she was playing her games. She just played from the perspective of, I'm going to have a great day, right? And, you know, look what happened to her. I mean, she uh, absolutely, totally smashed it. I think you can overthink these things. And she had a mind on the right thing, enjoying it. So she was kind of saying that in her professional career, that's how she approached her games. Yeah, that's right. She wow. said she approached it that way and uh, it was kind of just almost by accident drilled into her by a mother and um, that's how she played and that's how she won so it's a um, it's a lovely reminder I think isn't it yeah that, I mean uh, it's 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 like I mean many themes um, but the, the thing about extrinsic rewards versus intrinsic rewards and yeah you know, those extrinsic rewards like uh, the the prizes and the trophies and the you know, the titles and things like that. And and there's often a lot of focus on that and not so much on the intrinsic, you know, the doing it for the love of it, you know, uh, uh, passion. And of course, you know, yeah, if she was enjoying it, then she'd do it more. 
Well, purpose. that was the thing I, I was, uh, it made me think about when I was coaching basketball and I coached um, the juniors in uh, a Melbourne Tigers team, it was called. And the head coach, you know, I said, you know, when I started, I went up to him and I said, I was coaching like an under 12s team. And I said to the head coach, okay, so what do you want me to focus on? Like what, what is the most important things for these kids to learn when they're this age? And he just looked at me and he said, Sean, all they need to walk away with is a love of basketball. He said, if you can leave them with that, they will do the practice. They will find out more. They will play harder. You know, like everything came from this idea of at that age, you want to get them just loving the game. And it never left me. It was um, just a simple piece of advice, which put the right facts. And I tell you what, the parents didn't like it, right? They wanted us to train them having, you know, the the latest, uh, you know, different tactics on the court. And, you know, they thought if they were, they had to do all this fancy stuff. And I'm just sort of saying, no, we're going to do the basics and we're going to love the game. Yeah, drove them nuts. So, <laughs> yeah, because, of course, you know, I, I guess at least some of them would have been those uh, super competitive, you know, living their, their lives vicariously through their kids. Uh, and... I had 90% that I think, <laughs> in, in that particular team. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> that's tough. Uh, anyway, let's talk about this story. Uh, what what things jumped out for you, Mark, in terms of bits you like in that uh, Yvonne Gulligan story? Oh, look, the uh, I guess the, the little, the tiny little bits of imagery you gave us, like the, when she was at the court looking in, and so what he said, "Come in." Yeah, um, yeah. The uh, I mean, I guess you know, the the you know coming home. At, you know, did you have a lovely day, honey? I I I, I guess. That wasn't quite. I didn't quite get imagery there, and maybe that's a place where you could just add a little bit more to make it make it better. But um, yeah, I guess that side of it. But also the the Gulagong. The other thing I liked is that uh, Gulagong's going. Well, that's one of the things that Mum taught me that I've taken through my career. So it's just how important that yeah. accident, that a accidental coaching happy accident. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like the fact that she's in this little town, you know, that obviously, you know, had this Aboriginal family there. They, they don't know too much about tennis. I think what happened actually is the town uh, pulled together, you know, resources to send her on tournaments and, and things like that. It was a like real they saw her potential and yeah, they saw her potential. It was her. a real community effort. Mm. Um, so yeah, and then she so, sort of got discovered. Yeah, so another really well thing that I love about that is that it's such a simple story and yet it has impact. So yeah. uh, it's, it's really fast to tell. It's really clear message and a simple story to tell. Yes. Very, very, right. I love it. Yeah. I like the fact too, you know, it's, it's a name that certainly every Australian would know and, you know, around the world, the tennis, certainly the tennis aficionados would uh, recognise um, so I think that's a, another great element of that story. Anything that's a story about people we know, we, we lean into, don't we? Well, it's all automatic context. Yeah, exactly. you, you, You're talking about something people already know, so it just makes it so uh, so relatable. You know, um, I don't know if I remember if I told it in the story. I might have. Um, but one of the things I didn't know, I knew she was lived in a small country town in New South Wales, but I didn't know where she uh, grew up 
And so I did a quick, you know, Wikipedia search and found it was Borallon. And, and I think I, I did I, did I mention Borallon in the story? Yes. Do you remember? Yes, okay, yep. I did. Yep. So, you know, the, I think those are little details that for most people who would, who would even know, I can't even mm. tell you where Borallon is. Um, I think it's near Griffith somewhere. Um, but I think it's those little details that help just bring the story to life a little bit. Um, what do you reckon? What you've already mentioned one thing that could make that story a little bit better, but is there anything else that uh, jumps jumps out for you? Well, I, I know without making up stuff, like if you if <laughs> you know, like if she didn't say it in the interview because I didn't hear the interview the, when you but uh, the, the triggered this, but like a moment of of success, like she's you know holding up the French Open trophy and thinking, I had a fun day today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something that would like be nice. That. You didn't say yeah. that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have to be you know, expanding it, which I don't I yeah, try not which to is, do. of course we don't and we don't advocate that at all. No. no. Um so look I I'm I it's one you don't want to overcomplicate, is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I think I think that's the one of the main powers of this is it's uh brevity and and uh, uh, impact. I was thinking, you know, I could have mentioned that she's, there's two other little facts around Yvonne Goolagong, which I think are interesting. Um, I mean, she won her first major tournament, you know, like her Grand Slam tournament when she was 19, which is not so unusual, but she was, um, she more or less had a big part of her career in the 70s, right? And then she came, she went and had a, a family, Right, she had a child, and she came back and she won the Australian Open in 1988, and I think she was the first woman after like an 80-year period to be able to win a Grand Slam after having her child. Wow! And you know, I mean, it's now you know a whole bunch of tennis players have done that, but that was groundbreaking in her time mm. in the 1980s, right? I mean, yeah. it's um, yep. So she was she um, was doing stuff that other people weren't. So. Pretty amazing woman, yeah, and yeah, you know, kind of early days of uh, of, of uh, well, not early days of female tennis, but you know, but they certainly didn't have that uh, the same cachet or you know, like the prize money or the the, the prestige of men's tennis. And uh, I'm so glad that that's changed over the years. Yeah, yeah, and that was all changing right at that point, really, wasn't it? 1970s, particularly. And one of the um, things that I, as you were telling that, I just picture her playing tennis. Because yes. she was an incredibly graceful player. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And in the days where they had those small wooden rackets. You know, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I remember because my mum was, uh, you know, as I, I might have mentioned, my mum played a lot of tennis and I got the hand-me-down tennis rackets, which was kind of embarrassing for me because they nearly always were either called them, uh, you know, an Yvonne Goolagong tennis. It would have Yvonne Goolagong written on the tennis racket because it was my mum's, right? Yeah. I didn't get to, I didn't get the chance to buy my own racket until I got a bit older, so I was whacking these balls around an Yvonne Gulagong tennis racket. wasn't very cool. wasn't very cool at all. Okay, yeah. so uh, where would we put this little? St- well, for me, one of the big ones is encouraging people to follow their passion. Do things that you're passionate about. Uh, find your passion. Find the thing that you love, because chances are you'll you'll the, the fact that you love it will lead you to be good at it. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, in a business sense, it's not, not in, the, in the moment, it's not great to be thinking about the results. 
You know, oh, in the yep. moment, you just, you know, so you really got to, you know, be thinking about what's happening in the moment, enjoying that moment, getting, you know, I think that's why purpose becomes such an important thing in organizations because you're not in focused on that end result per se. You're focused on, you know, the, the thing at hand, uh, which I think is important. Yeah. And one of the, remember when we were doing lots of work with communities of practice and I was running a session in Sydney and um, it was a community of practice of, of New South Wales government people who were implementing uh, SAP. And so they had all these different modules of SAP. And, uh, and so these, these, Folks were working together to, you know, kind of raise the bar, rising tide strategy on their practice of, of implementing SAP. And I got them to list all of the things that they thought the group should work on. And they come up with this long list of things and we should have a project plan for this and we should have a data and we should write a set of standards for that. And as a long list. And then, and then I asked, who'd, who'd like to volunteer to be part of a team to tackle these issues? crickets really crickets because <laughs> they knew that they should oh that's the we we know we should do that but it's not what they wanted to do and so then i asked a different question and it was a huge you know it was a real learning for me i said what would you like to be involved in oh i want to be on under oh, you know i don't want to be and and put the, you know this is this of topics so a new set of topics emerged, a, a, and but it was a completely different set of topics interesting yeah and and then I said, who want, and everyone's, you know, people were signing up for, and those groups, they just took off. Um, and I could have made a big mistake by, by saying, you, you know, you, you as a group have agreed that these are the priorities, you know, list number one, and none of them would have got done because they just weren't passionate about it. And of course, the thing about a community practice is you, you, you participate based on interest, not on on you know it's not your it's not a, a formal role so anyway so yeah it's very similar isn't it so yeah um yeah getting people energized to do these things trying to build into what they really love mm. yeah i think um yeah that'd be the two main areas i think this story plays into you know the find things you love and don't get too overly focused on the outcome as you're doing the exercise sure outcomes are important but not why you're doing it. Not why you're playing the game. Yeah, that story you told about your about the Melbourne Tigers head coach. That also was a that's a really cool little story in its own right. Right. Yes. Yes. And you know, it's a funny one because it's really it's it's one that I think this is probably something our listeners should think about. Is you hear these stories, but if you can then add some element to it, which is yours, right? As an additional anecdote, for example. And, and this really came clear to me just recently because I gave a talk to a group of um, sort of medical specialists just recently. And I thought to myself, okay, how am I going to start this? And I, I started off as a connection story uh, about my sister-in-law um, who is at Berkeley University and she had a connection into CRISPR. I might have mentioned this on a previous uh, podcast, yeah. right? Yeah. And... Um, Anyway, but after I told that story, I just sort of said to them, okay, so what do you infer about me as a person? And, you know, what, did, what, what jumped out for you? Anyway, this one lady jumped in and she said, what I really liked was you were able to take that story of what was happening in CRISPR, but add your own dimension to it. To me, that was really interesting. You know? right. And I think 
it can be able to connect it to some sort of personal experience does make it far more interesting for people to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so, and that's a great example. The Yvonne Goolagong thing, but then you've got the, the Melbourne the Tigers head coach. Yeah. Yep. Just the most important thing is that they love basketball. That's your, that's your measure. I love it. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I wish I could remember his name, though. Yeah, that's um, which yeah. is if I could remember his name off the top of my head, I should have gone and had a bit more dig around to find his name. It wasn't Andrew um, Gaze, was it? No, Andrew was involved at the time. Uh, he was uh, his daughter was on my team, uh, so oh. I had Andrew Gaze on the sideline. <laughs> oh, that's just what you want. No pressure, coach. <laughs> <laughs> and his dad, Lindsay Gaze. Oh, uh, of course, it was a yeah. So, By the way, anyway, were, the they, were they? Were they? Were they? Uh, were they, they didn't say with... much. They didn't say much. Right, they, they, didn't, just let you... they didn't put their oar in. Okay, good. So, you know, it was all good. Mm. I didn't have to uh, contend with those guys. Um, terrific. Okay. Well, I think that's we need a point where we need to give it a bit of a score. What do you reckon? For me, that's an eight. I, an eight? I love, yep, simple, powerful. It's one of the things, uh, the elegant simplicity of that story. Beautiful. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to give it an eight as well. It's a useful story. I'm glad I, sometimes you forget stories that you know. And so I was going through my story bank thinking, okay, what can I tell today? And and saw it in there and I went, yep, that's a beauty. I'll, I'll tell that one. So get your story banks going, guys. Everyone should really have a story useful. bank. Yep. Fantastic. Well, I think that's probably a good place. Unless there's anything else we need to wrap up on, Mark? No, I think that's a uh, that's a, a nice compact little episode, and that's uh, that's going straight into my story bank. Fantastic. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for listening in to anecdotally speaking, and of course, tune in next week for another episode of How to Put Your Stories to Work. Bye for now. Dun, dun. Anecdotally Speaking was engineered by Dave Stokes from author to audio.